kingdom. So we're in Psalm chapter 2, talking about what it looks like to experience, to know, and to be in the kingdom of God. Right? The kingdom of God is a theme that we see all throughout Scripture, but so often we don't really understand fully what it means, how important it is, and how the whole storyline of the Bible is built on this concept of God's kingdom. And so the more we understand what the kingdom of God is and see it weaved throughout Scripture, the more we're going to understand what our purpose is in this life, what our role is in this kingdom, and why God even created us in the first place. And so throughout the semester, I hope that we get a deeper understanding of all these things. I hope that we see how central the kingdom of God is to not only our understanding of God, but our understanding of who we are in our own lives. And so we're going to begin this in Psalm chapter 2, but before we get there, um, I got a question. Have any of you guys seen the movie Inception? Anybody, anybody Inception fans? There, yeah, there we go. There we go. That's right. One of the one of the greatest movies of 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 my generation, at least. It was. It came out when I was in high school. I was actually working at a movie theater when it came out, um, and I actually got to see it the night before it released. So you know, it's big time right there. It's big time. They did a pre-screening of it on the IMAX screen. They let the workers go in there. It was amazing. I loved it. Uh, and it was such a crazy movie. I'm not going to like spoil it or anything like that because you need to watch it. But the basic concept of the movie is there's a group of people who are kind of like outlaws who have a job that they get hired for where they go into people's dreams and try to plant ideas into their minds while they're asleep. And they're kind of like undercover, so there's a little like spy and espionage type of element to it. But the whole idea is that if they can plant an idea in someone's mind and get them to believe that it's their own idea, that that idea will take hold of them and radically change the path of their life. And so the main uh, storyline of the movie is them working through the layers of this really important person's mind in order to get to the very deepest parts of his mind and plant this really uh, simple yet profound idea that will basically change the course of his future. And what I want us to think about as we get into um, Psalm chapter 2 and get into this idea of the kingdom is that in the movie Inception, the idea that's happening is there's a fantasy, there's something that's not real, that's trying to get forced into somebody's mind to be turned into reality. But what we often do when we don't understand the kingdom of God is we take what's real and true in this world and we misconstrue it and we miss the point and we don't completely understand it. So we take what's real and take some of the reality out of it. And so my goal here, our goal looking at the scriptures tonight is to put a greater sense of reality into our understanding of the kingdom of God. To remove any fantasy, to remove anything that's um, holding us back from understanding who God truly is and what His kingdom is really like, 
so that when we know more about it, just like that idea radically changed uh, the people's life, that knowledge of God's kingdom should radically change our life as well. So we're in Psalm chapter 2 as our main text. But before we get there, I want to give us a brief sort of overview of what Jesus said about the kingdom. You can see here on this uh, graphic that in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I think that's supposed to actually say Mark. But either way, one of Jesus' first words is actually first recorded word in the Gospel of Mark is this verse. The time is fulfilled. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The idea of the kingdom was central to Jesus' message. It was central to what he wanted us to know about why he came to earth. He came to fulfill the time that was previous to his coming, and he came to change something about the future. Jesus came to change the present so that our future would look different. Now, when we think about the kingdom of God, this is really important because what we're going to do this semester is we're going to look at the Old Testament a lot in order to see what is the foundation of God's kingdom. What is it really like so that we can see how Jesus fulfilled what was promised in the Old Testament and we can see how that changes the future of the church in the New Testament and of our lives now as we wait for Jesus to come back. You see, the kingdom is a past, present, and future reality. The kingdom started when the world was created. The kingdom continues up to now, and the kingdom will culminate when Jesus comes back. And if we don't get that fundamental understanding in our mind, we will miss how important the kingdom is to our lives. So let's look in Psalm chapter 2 and let's examine this great song of the church about the kingdom. Okay, so in Psalm chapter 2, it's a psalm of David. We know this because in Acts chapter 4, the psalm is attributed to David. It's not attributed here. When you read the psalm, it doesn't say a psalm of David but it was attributed to him in the New Testament when it was quoted uh, in the book of Acts. So we're going to look through this psalm, and I want us to see three basic fundamental aspects of God's kingdom. We're going to see that it's a kingdom of people, a kingdom in a place, and a kingdom of power. So people, place, and power. Right. Whenever I was taught and uh, learned about the kingdom from just you know, growing up, being in church, going to seminary, all these things, I was really only taught about the power. The, the kingdom, uh, in my mind, before really studying this, was just about the sovereign power of God, that God's in control of the whole universe, that everything is under His authority, that nothing happens outside of God's control 
That's what I understood the kingdom of God to be, just that he is powerful over, uh, over everything, over the universe, over us, over creation, over the stars in the sky, that God's powerful and in charge over it all. But what I began to understand more as I uh, read more and, and studied through the Bible and began to, to actually read it all the way through for myself more and more and uh, listen to, to different people talk about the kingdom is that it's not just about God's power. That's a, that's a very central core aspect to it, but it's also about us. It's about people. It's about you and me being here and being part of it now. And it's about the place that we live and the places that God has worked in the Bible and the places that God is still working now. Okay, think about it this way. God is always at work. God is always moving. God is always showing himself. God is always making things happen in this world, both here and on places all the way across the world, all the time. Right? Places that we don't even know exist. God is working. When you read the book of Job, whenever Job is complaining about God's goodness in the face of his suffering, what's God's response to Job? It's that I am at work at the bottom of the sea with the mountain goats that you don't even know exist, and I cause their babies to be born. Right? God is, is basically telling Job that. I am working in this place, this earth that I have made all the time. And just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. And so what I want us to think about as we go into the Psalms is not just God is powerful, but God is powerful in our lives and God is powerful on this earth that we live in, in this universe that we dwell in. God's power is not just an abstract, but it's concrete. It's real in your life and it's real in my life. So let's look at Psalm chapter 2. Let's walk through it and let's keep this idea of the kingdom in mind and let's see how it plays out in people's lives, in the places that, we, that they're living in, and see God's power on display here. So I'm going to read, uh, read this whole psalm. It's only 12 verses. And then pray that God would reveal uh, himself to us through the power of his spirit as we read his word, and then we'll dig in. It says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. 
Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Let me pray. Lord, I pray that as we read and seek to understand Your Word, that Your Spirit speaks now through uh, the power of, of Your Word as it is read. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's start with the first three verses, this first stanza of this song, okay? So, the first thing we see before we even, uh, before what God has revealed to us, outside of what he's read, what's implied here is that there is a kingdom, okay? So, the first thing that we read isn't that God has made the earth or God is in charge of everything. It's just an understood assumption that God is in charge, and the people are rebelling against him, right? The first thing it says is, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain, right? Why is this earth, why are the people on this earth rebelling and fighting against God, their creator? Why is this happening? And we don't really get an answer to that question, just an understood, uh, this is the understanding that this is what's happening, that there is a creator and that there is a war against him. That everything in creation is fighting against the one who made it. It says, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, burst their bonds apart, cast their cords from us, right? It's a picture here of uh, a king or a ruler and a slave, right? That this king has a slave and they're in bondage and the, and the slave is trying to break free of these bonds. Now, the question is, is this what's really happening? Is the king of the universe, is God truly enslaving his people that they need to fight and break their bonds? They need to fight and be free of this oppressive king, oppressive ruler, this Lord who just has no good for them? Or is there something else going on? Is there a reason within the people that they want to fight with it against God? Or is God just so bad that he does not deserve to have these people listen to him? That's the question we're kind of left with. So when we think about the kingdom of God, we think, is God good and people bad? Or are people good and God bad? That's the basic question here. And that's a question that we're going to get faced with every day in culture. Culture and the world around us is going to say that most people are generally good and that if anything says they're not good, that thing is bad. So when we look at the Bible and we read verses like all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of that sin is death, what the world who does not know God will say is that God is not worth following. That God is evil. That God does not have your good in mind because he's calling you out on his own standards, his own rules, when you're probably basically a good person. I'm sure you're nice and I'm sure you try to you know, do your good deed of the day and be kind to people. But the question is, which is true? Is it true that people are good and God is bad? Or is it true that God is good and people are bad? That's the question here that we're left with in these first three verses. So the question is, how is God going to respond and how are we going to respond to that question? How are you going to respond to that question in your life when you're tempted to believe that God is causing some kind of suffering in your life 
because he doesn't love you, because he doesn't care about you, because he just wants you to suffer. He wants you to experience something bad in your life. How are you going to respond to that? Well, first we see God's response here. So God in his kingdom, in his rule, it says, sits in the heavens. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds him in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So what's God saying? Well, we got to, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, because this does apply to Jesus, I think if we uh, were just kind of to read this, um, our first impression would probably be to see the word king set up and think he's, he's probably talking about Jesus, which is true. But before he's even talking about Jesus, the psalm is talking about David, the Old Testament king who was set up as a precursor, as a shadow of Jesus to come. So what God is saying here is that he is going to set up in his kingdom someone to represent himself to the people who are fighting against him. Okay, so think about that. David is called a man after God's own heart. David is a man who God said constantly, not consistently or perfectly, but constantly tried to run after the Lord, tried to put the Lord first, tried to set the Lord as, as the primary ruler of his life. Now, we know he failed. Uh, we knew he had struggles and he fell into temptation and all those things. But the God, Bible still describes him as a man after God's own heart. And so David, as the king and as a man after God's own heart, represented God to the people. And the people were meant to look at David and see what God is like. Now, fast forward then to Jesus, and we see Jesus do that perfectly. Jesus fully represented what God is like as God in the flesh. Jesus came down to be the perfect man and the perfect God and to live the life that we couldn't live, to represent God in a way that no one else could so that when people look at him, they see God. But the question is, now that we don't see Jesus anymore, who is going to represent him to the people? And that's where the Bible puts that, that um, uh, not pressure, but the, the, the onus of representation on us. Right? The Bible says that we are temples of the Holy Spirit that we are made in His image. And so when people look at us, they're meant to see what God is like. That is a central part of God's kingdom, that He's always going to set up a representative to show the world around that representative who He is like, who the true King is like. It started with Adam and Eve in the garden. They failed. God continued to do that. We see that in Abraham and in the, the establishment of Israel as the representatives of God, then Christ and now the church, now us as representatives of God to this world. So that when God hears people fighting against him, it can say that, that he, can, he can rightly laugh in the sense of 
you know, it's just absurd that people would not know how good he is because he set up a representative. That he can show his wrath towards them. That there is no excuse for them not knowing him because there's a representative. And so that leaves us with the question, are we representing God faithfully? Are we representing God in a way that allows people to escape God's wrath, to escape His his fury against their sin, because they see the way we live, and they hear the words that we speak, and they begin to know who the true God is because of what we say and because of what we do. If we are not representing God in the correct way, then His kingdom is not being established in the way that it's meant to be established. If God's people are not representing God's power in the place that God has put us, then the kingdom is not coming in the way that it's supposed to be coming. Right? On the wall it says, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in Middle Tennessee as it is in heaven. Who's going to do that? Well, that's us. We're the ones who are supposed to represent the kingdom and bring it to where we're at here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, at MTSU, just like it is in heaven. So moving through that idea, that that question in our lives, are we representing God's kingdom? If we were truly to look at ourselves, we we would know that we're not doing it perfectly. Right? We know that we need, we need help. We need something and someone to come into our lives to give us the help that we need in order to represent God in the way that He's asking us and requiring us to represent Him. And so here's what God has done in order to make that happen. In verse 7, uh, the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, I'll make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Right? God is saying that whenever that representative fails, he will step in. Whenever that representative needs help, he is there. Whenever we're struggling, whenever we're still dealing with our own sin, whenever we're still dealing with our own temptations, God is there to help us. He sent Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, he sent David, he sent ultimately Jesus to help us. And now the Holy Spirit living within us, who is our helper, that he's going to, through Jesus, give us the power and the ability and the opportunity, it says, to make the nations your heritage. Now that that's... That can be interpreted different ways depending on who we're talking about as the king. If we're talking about Jesus, we know that everything is under Jesus. Everything is his heritage. Every person is going to bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord one day. But I want you to think about this in the here and now. When God says, I will make the nations your heritage, he's telling us that as we represent Christ, He's promising us that people are going to notice. People are going to take notice of how you live your life. People are going to take notice of the things that you do and the things that you say. And he's promising that some people 
are going to respond to that by putting their faith and trust in Jesus. And that is making the nations your heritage. So that whenever you look back on your life or look out into the world and you see God working through you, that is your heritage. When you see God doing powerful things through your faithfulness, right? Because God uses us as His human means to show His power in the world. That is your heritage. That is your possession. That is your treasure, right? Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that we would sell everything to go and have and to go and find, right? That's our treasure, that we, that we are faithful to God, that we have Jesus the King with us. And as the King is with us, He's changing us and challenging us and moving us to represent Him out into the world. Right? It breaks the strongholds of sin with an iron rod. It breaks the hardness of our heart like a potter's vessel. Right? When we go out and represent Jesus to the world, it changes things. It changes people. It changes the world around us. And that's why it's so important. We do. We talked about the worship night, for example, or or secret church, or you know, any of these things that we're doing, we're not just doing them just, just to do them. We're doing them to help us represent Jesus as the King in the world that He has placed us in and to see His power go forth through us. And so it ends, this psalm ends with a warning and a promise. It says, First, O kings, be wise, be warned, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Understand that every moment of our lives, every breath that we take, every day that God gives us in His mercy is a gift meant to be given right back to the King who's given it to us. That our lives in His kingdom are precious moments and opportunities that God has given us to serve Him and rejoice in Him. And it says, you know, kiss the Son. To, to, to simply cling to Jesus and to realize that without Him, we have no hope. And it says, if we don't, God will be angry. His wrath will be kindled. But it says, in those moments, find refuge in Him. And that's the promise here. That no matter where we are on this whole scale of representing Jesus as part of the kingdom of God, whether we look at our lives now and, and see that there's still a lot of, of sin, there's still a lot of struggle, there's still a lot of things that we need help with, or whether we look at it and we see, and we do see, Nations becoming our heritage and earth becoming our position. We see God working through us. And we see fruit in our lives as we're seeking to be faithful to God. No matter what end of that spectrum we're on, the promise and the warning is still the same. That if we drift away from God, we can expect His anger at that. But He's always there to be our refuge. That's the promise. That yes, God still brings consequences, not eternal punishment, 
right? doesn't mean that if you sin once, you're going to go to hell or you lose your salvation. But there are still consequences for our sin. There are still things that are going to go at many times, not always, but many times worse, at least eventually as we sin. But God's always there to be our refuge. God's there always with open arms for His children, for the ones that He is drawing to Himself to say, I will bless you as you take refuge in me. And so this, this idea of being a refuge, and I want us to kind of end with this picture in our mind, right? Some of you may have kept up with the, the different wars that we've had recently, the, the war in Ukraine and the war uh, on Israel. But as a result of those wars, millions of people were displaced from their homes, uh, were left with nothing, and were left basically with just a cry for help. That somebody please provide the things that I need because I have nothing. There's nothing that they can bring except themselves. And so these, these refugees that are, that are just crying out for help needed someone to step in, provide a home, provide food, provide, sh- you know, shelter, it's a home, but just provide the things that they needed. And thankfully, there are many people around the world who have done that, even though there are still many people who, who, who don't have that yet. But the point is, when we come to God like that, when we come to God as, as a refuge, as a refugee seeking refuge, with nothing to offer, nothing that we can give to God that's going to, to make that anything that he needs that's going to make him better, we're just going with empty hands and saying, God, I need you. Please take care of me. We will receive his blessing. It's a promise that we have in the Bible here. It's a promise that Jesus gives. It's a promise that we just read from Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God promises that when we come to Him for forgiveness of our sin, when we come to Him for help in times of struggle, when we, come, when we run to Him when we're facing temptation, He will provide everything that we need. So our, my challenge for us today is to represent God wherever you're at, wherever you work, wherever you go to school, whatever class you're in, whatever activity that you do, Represent Christ. And when you fail, as we all will, run to Him. Take refuge in Him, and you will find His blessing. Let me pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your faithfulness to us. That You would send Your Son, Jesus, to represent humanity on the cross. That He represented us perfectly before You in His life, but He also represented us by taking our sin in His death. That when You looked at Jesus on the cross, You saw all of our sin nailed there with Him. And Lord, because He so willingly chose to take our sin 
upon himself. And because he defeated that sin by rising from the grave, we have hope that if we just come to you with empty hands, if we come to you just confessing our sin before you and our need of you, that you are there with forgiveness and with love and to turn us into something brand new, someone who can truly represent you to the world that needs you. So Lord, help us to remember the gospel, to remember what you've done for us so that it will change the way that we live for you. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.